0: Welcome in to Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Tuesday, May 30th. We are about 24 hours out from the Celtics, coming up short in Game 7 against the Miami Heat. If you somehow were in a coma and missed what had happened the past couple games with the Celtics, uh, clawed all their way back down from 0-3 to force a Game 7, just to come up short. Uh, We're joined by our guy, RJ Rosazza to recap what we saw last night in Game 7 and uh, kind of evaluate the Celtics season as a whole, RJ. How you, how you hanging in there today? But
1: so again, you have me on after a loss, <laughs> and I've been trying to be a more positive fan, but you're clearly enabling me at this point. Uh but no, it's just it's just the biggest when it comes to sports, maybe the biggest blue balls I've ever had as a fan ever for all those those three wins to fight your way back, claw your way back just to just Shit your pants on home court, just absolutely choke the game away and play from pretty much behind the entire game and just never seem like they were really in the game at all.
0: Yeah, that was the frustrating thing, man. Like, you would think, I I was talking to my parents about this, I was like, you'd think I'd be like yelling at my screen and really active and engaged during the game, but like, frankly, there was only. A handful of times where i even got that pissed off because because i mean probably right around turnover five for jalen brown is when i like first lost it but like beyond that like it wasn't even close enough for me to be that locked in for it it just kind of you know just to kind of i'll quickly recap um you know a couple things that happened in the game that set the tone because i feel like it's worth mentioning Uh, Not making an excuse for this team by any means, but it is worth noting that literally the first possession of the game, uh, you know, the gardens alive, the crowd looked like it was fantastic. And then possession one Tatum goes to the basket, you know, takes it baseline. uh, Looks like he comes down on somebody's foot and and sprains his ankle in a pretty significant way. Um, You know, he got sent to the free throw line after that, but clearly he was shaken up and it affected him the rest of the way. He looked pretty passive on offense the rest of the game defensively. He was obviously a shell of himself as well. And we just got off to a really miserable start shooting the ball as well that we can touch upon. Um, And then we of course had a nightmare game uh, from our co-star Jalen Brown as well. So the Celtics ended up losing by I think 20 points. I think eight, they finished with what? 84 points, right? Uh, I believe that was the lowest total that they put up the literally the entire season, um, which tells you everything you need to know of how much it was a struggle. Uh, But what was your, you know, watching that game in, in, in totality, what was the biggest thing that jumped out to you about that game?
1: So Going in, I think if you look at – I think this seven-game series really almost summed up their season as a whole. As the first three games, you had the team that we've – the Celtics team that we've talked about when I've been on here before that were fearful. Like, is this who this team is? Like, is this what they're going to – and we saw it a little bit in the Atlanta series, a little bit in the Philly series. Then games four through six, we saw the team that we knew they could be if they played up to their potential. And then it came down to game seven. Who are they? Are they the team from games one through three or are they the team from games four through six? And clearly, they were the team from games one through three. I think this is what this team is. I think they are, they choked. And to do that in front of your own home court, when literally the entire, slick I don't know if you saw it in front of the TD Garden before the game, but they had that place mobbed. The fans were ready to go, and you came out flat from the start, gave them nothing to cheer about. And this one—this one's going to sting for them for a long time, especially for Jalen Brown.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and I don't mean to, obviously, you know, credit goes to Miami for going out and winning that game as an seed. They have a pretty unbelievable story, but we are going to preview the NBA finals a little bit toward the end of this podcast. So we'll talk more about the heat then. So we are just obviously focusing on the Celtics season, but I think you covered it, man. And I do want to touch upon this because again, I, I obviously mentioned the Tatum ankle injury. I don't know about you, but uh, you mentioned that you were, you had kind of heard about the injury you missed that play and then kind of had to watch it back. But You know, when I saw that play, I I would love to tell you that I still had confidence that we were going to rally and and find a way to win the game. But I I didn't really feel like that because we haven't been a mentally tough team all season. And unfortunately, you know, it's it's a luxury that we do have two all NBA players of something I've been very proud of as a Celtics fan this season. But unfortunately, it just kind of feels like even in games where Tatum has struggled or, uh, you know, been in foul trouble or what have you. We just never we never really had that step up from Jalen Brown for him to, you know, become more of the primary shot maker if you will he was certainly a shot taker last night um but it is worth noting that i think that that injury totally sucked the wind out of the building it seemed like the crowd um uh, you know was significantly less less involved from that point on which is obviously very early on in the game uh but the celtics did it to themselves right i don't want to make an excuse i do think the game would have gone differently if our best player didn't get hurt on, on literally the first possession but the celtics did that to themselves. You lose any margin of error when you fall down 0-3 to a team that is inferior talent-wise. I can't sit up here and make the injury excuse and, and cry about it because that's the type of variability that happens in a seven-game series when you let it go seven games. Like, you know, I'd love to, again, I don't think the Heat sustained an injury as significant as as Tatum by any means, but, you know, they lost Gabe Vincent for a game who was, you know, at times their second or third best offensive player. They've been without Tyler Harrow since literally the first game of the playoffs. So it's difficult to make that excuse, uh, but I do think it's worth noting, and I don't know if you had any comments on Tatum's uh,
1: Yeah, I don't know how you felt going into the game, but I don't know if you saw any of the like video going around after game six. They seemed, after they pulled off, obviously, crazy Derek White game-winning shot, they seemed very relieved in the locker room to be going home, almost like they're like, we got this now. We're at home, and they thought – Last night, they could just roll the ball out there like they've done a lot of times this year and that the game was just going to come to them, that the win was going to come to them, and it didn't come to them. And then you have, like you said, Tatum goes down early. Your shots aren't falling. You would think you would be like, hey, we need to just attack the basket and get some, get the ball to go into the hoop a few times to build our confidence, but they complete, com, just completely kept hucking up shots, and they just dug themselves into a bigger and bigger hole, and they just hung around that gap of, you know, 12 to 15 points for too long where then it gets you get deeper into the game and they never really got it close where I felt comfortable yeah it was never really felt like it got within like maybe got within five or six ones yeah, so that could I could be a little off but I never felt comfortable because I knew if the heat go on one run here in the second half and they went on it and then there you're done that's why yeah. you can't hang like you can't hang like that
0: Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning, too, that I think you're right. I think it was like six or seven points was like the number where we cut it to a handful of times throughout the game, especially in the third quarter. I think we, we, that's probably was our best stretch of basketball when Derek White was really cooking for us. He seemed like the lone bright spot of the team, but when you look at the box score, he was only he's five. The, he's well. the
1: only guy <laughs> that realized, like, my shot's not falling. Why don't I attack the hoop? Yeah. And he was probably the only guy in the entire team that maybe ever got a fan off his seat. He went on a good run there where he had a couple and ones, hit a couple threes. Yep, and he... Almost clawed them back into the game, but I'm sure we're going to get the you know Martin in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, every time that they had a chance, where like yeah. every time the Celtics needed him to miss a shot, he made it.
0: Yep. And that,
1: sometimes that's all you need is a run killer on your team, especially if you get up like that.
0: Yeah, and it's like you you look at the box where he had 26 points, but I, I cannot overstate that if you watch that game. Every single time, I, I'm willing to bet every single time it did cut get cut down to six points, seven points, even single-digit lead for the Heat, Martin was the next person to score. And it's unbelievable on a team with Jimmy Butler, who who is obviously the leader of that team and whatnot um for martin to step up like that it was it was un- and he's been great for them all series like you know a lot of people felt like he should have got the you know award for best player on, on the eastern conference champion uh and that ended up going to jimmy which i mostly agreed with but whatever he really was that good to be in the conversation but uh, i'm glad we touched upon white too because i felt like he was awesome and then of course you know i think he ended up what pulling a hamstring or something like that because he actually was- they
1: didn't even really i I could be wrong, but I didn't even hear them acknowledge it on the broadcast for a while. So I was wondering where he went because I saw I'm like Hauser. I think they put Hauser in for him, and yeah. then I think I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw that he got went to the locker room. And I never maybe they did mention it on TNT, but I didn't I didn't catch it.
0: I think the best point you made was you know white was the guy that wasn't settling right he seemed to in that third quarter where he had a really nice stretch of offense where he was consistently penetrating into the Miami zone it looked like he was like living at like the the foul line area he got a couple tough floaters to go like you said I think he got an and one in that stretch uh but really it was because, you know, we, we got ourselves in a hole early because I think we missed what our, I think the stat was we missed our first 12 threes of the game. Yeah, it was over for
1: 11 or over 12 to start. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was like floating around. People were already making that, you know, what was it, the 2017 Rockets or something like that, that team in game seven that missed 27 consecutive threes where, just like the Celtics, their whole philosophy was take as many threes as possible, so yeah, man, I, I will give credit, too. I think Miami did a pretty good job for the most part of, at least, you know, a lot of them, they just didn't fall first, but a lot of other ones were rushed. I remember specifically, like, you know, Brogdon checking into the game, and I'm like, all right, hey, Brogdon's back. It's good. He obviously yeah. missed game six, uh, immediately throws up an air ball that looked, that was obviously not even remotely close, and I do give him some, you know, at least he has an excuse with his forearm injury on his shooting arm. I'm sure that affected how that shot was going up, but, and then Al in the corner looked like he his you know, he's... The, his, He's a great three point shooter. He was like, pretty sure he was like second in the NBA during the regular season. And then, you know, his first three pointer or one of his first ones was in the corner and he airballed it. He was looked so rushed, even though he's a good shooter. He doesn't have a quick release. Uh, So, yeah, man, I mean, I I felt like that really killed us. Um, But when you, just to kind of zoom out a little bit, you know, when you are going to think back about this series in like five years or something like that. Are you gonna? How are you going to think about it? Are you going to think of it as like the Celtics clawing their way back just to blow it? Are you just gonna? Are, are we thinking this is just going to be a part of the Heat's 30-for-30 30 30 doc if they somehow go on and, and win the championship as an 8-seed? How do you think you're going to remember this series as a Celtics fan?
1: I think Game 7 is going to be really resonant with me because there's a lot of teams in that situation in Game 7, after you've blown a 3-0 lead, that would just fold under pressure and i think it really showed how good of a coach spolster is and how good of a leader butler is that they st- were able to just hey it's a new it's a one game series now they forgot everything that happened in the past sorry i think if the celtics were a team that blew a 3-0 lead they would fold in a game 7 it takes a special team to realize that this is it like it doesn't matter what happened before um, but yeah i'll just think it, like what if like if they could have just played uh, even a little bit better of basketball in those first three games and just could have defended home court better like how do you just in front of your own fans like so in the NBA so many teams are comfortable playing at home and all postseason the Celtics are just it just what happened all season finally came back and it bit them in the ass and that I was wondering if that was going to happen eventually and it did
0: yeah and I think that's a great point too right like you know last night we said it was frustrating but I feel like we knew at midway through the fourth quarter, the game was already over. There was a pretty, you know, intense feeling of doom right from the start with, with Tatev's ankle injury that I touched upon. But that almost wasn't even our game to win, right? We the, Like I mentioned this in the last podcast, where I was like, hey, if we end up dropping this series to Miami, we're going to be haunted by games one and two. Because this isn't Philadelphia anymore, right? This isn't, you know, when we lost game one in Philly on some bullshit because Harden went crazy, and then we lost game five, um, you know, because we doubled and beat, and then Harden hit a big three in the corner. Like, those were coin flip games, but we were able to drop two of the coin flip games and still win the series. With Miami, with how tough they are and how well coached they are, they don't give you those opportunities because – Games one and two, those were coin flip games that were at home, right? You have to at least win one of those things, right? We have a miserable third quarter in game, th- in game one, and then in game two, it's a game of runs the entire time, and Miami just got the last punch in, and we kind of went MIA down the stretch, uh, executing our offense. Game three was an ass-whooping for Miami. Games four and five were ass-whoopings in our favor. And so, you know, you kind of look at that in totality, and you realize that Miami won, you know the two coin flip games that they had to, and we only got one of them in game six. And that's kind of how it comes down. You know, in my opinion, I feel like you're absolutely right. I think we lost that series early on, obviously.
1: And it it stings too, knowing, you know, they didn't have hero outside of the first couple of games, bam out of Bayou really wasn't that effective. He went on little, you know, runs there. I think in game six or game five, he made a, but it went on a little run where he scored like 10 straight for them but i mean butler was good but he wasn't great he had a few yeah. games in there where he wasn't super effective it just felt like we let these no not no names because if you follow the league you know the guys but these guys that are either undrafted or late late draft picks beat you yeah and Absolutely. then you had your own superstars that really were just way too inconsistent and not to circle back to brown too much but it just felt like he was a guy that like the way he was dribbling the basketball like and i get that people have been critical of his dribble before but that was like a guy that's just in his own head nervous and he's just not thinking he gets the ball do I shoot do I pass and before you know it he dribbles the ball half an inch further than he wanted to or Butler comes from behind and pokes it like that was an all-time game seven choke job of a guy and I, I, that's the thing like I want to kill him and I I do like I, I he get, deserves a big part of the loss but you almost feel for a guy on that stage that It's one thing to lose and you're missing your shot, but to turn the ball over. And when it's that evident, you couldn't handle the moment. There's, Like I said, there's one thing to miss a bunch of shots. There's another when you clearly cannot handle the moment and you're turning the ball over eight times. I think at one point he turned the ball over more than the entire Heat team had in the fourth quarter. I don't know how it ended up at the end. but
0: No, you're absolutely right. I was... Definitely saving the Jalen Brown stuff, but I'd love to get into that now because we obviously have a, you know, the front office of the Celtics rather has a a huge decision to make in terms of his contract and the supermax he's eligible for. But you're absolutely right, man. I think just as much as this was, you know, the Caleb Martin game for Miami and and how clutch he was for them every time they needed him. It was the Jalen Brown nightmare game, I think was unfortunately the story of the Celtics. And, you know, like you, I was so, you know, I was pretty frustrated with Jalen throughout the series. He obviously had a pretty tough stretch even before this game. And I was really, really pissed at him during the first, you know, half of the game, even, you know, at the start of the third quarter, I was like, man, I'm so done with this guy. And then I just started to feel bad because it just kept happening. And the thing that's frustrated just for reference, so we can illustrate how poor he was, um, you know, finished eight of 23 shooting. He was one of nine from three and he finished the game with eight turnovers. When they announced on the broadcast that it got up to eight, I was like, good God. And you're right. It's the frustrating thing, too, is if obviously if you followed this team last season, the biggest gripe about Jalen Brown, the biggest gripe about him, you know, throughout most of his career at this point has just been ball security, right? Like, I make the a lot of people make the joke that he is easily the best player in the NBA that can't dribble the ball. Like, he really can't. And it's really horrible matchups for him. Like I can't even think of, of how many times in the finals that like Draymond specifically was like a shark that smelt blood when Jalen ball Jalen Brown would put the ball on the ground in front of him. That's what the Miami zone defense was. Like everybody's doing like the reach around tap thing just to try to get at him. Um, and yeah, man, it was it was a nightmare game. And so uh, let's let's just jump into that now. You know, obviously he made second team All NBA. We talked about that, and uh, you know he has the opportunity to now be eligible for a super max contract. What is your gut reaction? Obviously, we're again we're only 24 hours out from Game Seven, but you know how are you feeling about the Jalen Brown contract decision right now?
1: So I've actually gone back and forth on it all day because you know you don't want to be a victim of the moment because it's yep. been 24 hours and right now at this moment I lean maybe try to move him, but I'm not going into the off season with my objective to be to trade him because I feel like if you go and do that you're going to do a bad trade or you're going to force your hand and do something that's not going to end well. So I would go in with an open mind into the off season and if a Damian Lillard becomes available or somebody like that and maybe you get a trade offer to you, I would be open minded about it, but I would tread very lightly because I mean it's about not being, you know, trying to go out of your comfortability zone making a deal like this. It it comes with some risk. If they go and trade him and that trade doesn't work out, Who's to say down the road in a couple of years Tatum doesn't get pissed off because he doesn't trust the front office to put the right guys around him? It would be a – it's not just – I know I see a lot of fans that are just like, yep, trade him, we're done with him. I'm not there yet, but I would be open-minded uh, to dealing him.
0: Yeah, and it is it is crazy. Like, uh, I was, I'm the same way uh, where I would – he would need this, I couldn't imagine a much worse Jalen Brown series than kind of what we got, especially the way it was capped off with Game 7 last night. Like, I really didn't think I'd be in this situation where I'd have any doubts. Again, I'm still definitely leaning on the side of offering in the the contract, uh, the max contract that is. And I should preface this by saying, look, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm buttoned up on this on his contract situation here. You know, he is under contract as of right now through the end of next season. So obviously, if nothing happens, he would be an unrestricted free agent at this time next year, right? So the way I look at it, and again, he's he's eligible for this supermax extension. If I'm Jalen Brown and I'm Jalen Brown's agent, I can't imagine you're you're taking a discount. You're either like you're offering me the supermax, or you can f off. Like I think that's how it's going to go down. So the way I see it is like if contract negotiations get ugly, everyone's going to know about it. Like they're obviously, they just lost in a pretty embarrassing way in the Eastern conference finals. Like, and they're a, a huge market team. People love talking about the seas. I feel like it's going to get out pretty quick. If those contract negotiations aren't progressing and there really isn't a negotiation, right? It's either they're offering the max or they're not. So
1: and it just I, seems like that whole Brown, not to cut you off, that whole no, Brown good. situation has been very eerie, for like the Durant yeah. rumors and then he's, Calling out the city, making comments. Not I'm not gonna get into the whole race thing, but kind of throwing that out there a little bit, playing around with that. And then you have him calling out the fan base before game seven against Philadelphia, which I absolutely hated. Because dude, if you're gonna go do that, maybe show up in game seven, don't come out slow the way you did. I just wonder if everything is leading to an end here where I mean, we we know Boston can be a very toxic city. I wonder if he's gonna if he's already starting to like feel those rumblings and hear those noises if he's going to crack because of what just happened because the fans aren't going to be easy on him
0: yeah absolutely I mean it's I thought we hit we got relief from this you know situation that I think was you're right was progressively getting a bit uglier throughout the year and I I did think the Philly comments were a little weird with him calling out the crowd and whatnot whatnot it's like hey maybe it's you're gonna blame the crowd for being let under 500 at home in the playoffs like is it really the crowd's (laughs) fault like I I think by all accounts we have at least a good crowd but either way, you know, kind of back to what I was saying about the negotiations, I just feel like, you know, if we, again, if word gets out that the, the negotiations aren't progressing, his value is just going to be tanking, right? I The last thing I want to happen is if, if we somehow can't come to an agreement in the offseason season. Like we have to move him this off season. We can't let it get to the trade deadline because then we're just going to be desperate, right? Like once, because as we all know, the only time that trades are made in the NBA are in the off season and at the trade deadline. There's very rare instances where that shit happens any other time of the year in between those two two landmarks, right? So again, I'd I'd love. I, I think at this point, I would say sign him. I would say just offer him the contract. And again, I would be more open, like. I don't know how likely it is if we do offer him the contract that we're able to still move him. Like, I still think there are teams out there that'd be fine with him being on a a max contract because I do think he is a max contract player. Is he a super max? Well, I don't know. But either way, I I think... I think you're just it, it's not worth the risk to kind of to kind of play around with it, right? You don't want to totally piss the guy off and have him be like the get me out of here thing because the stars have all the leverage. You don't want to let it get into the offseason or into the trade deadline without having a deal on paper. And the number one thing you can't afford to do is uh, end up into a situation where you're trading him for 50 cents on the dollar or he hits free agency. So I'm leaning towards signing him, but I I obviously have reservations that I never had about this because I don't know what the ceiling of this team is if we have both those guys making max contracts.
1: Yeah, and, like, honestly, if you, like, two hours before the game, if you ask me what I'm doing with Brown in the off season, I'm saying give him the super max. And, like I said, try not to be a victim of the moment. And it's not really – I just – it's tough for me to, like, you know, kill the coach and say we need a new coach and then be like, oh, well, let's get rid of Brown too because maybe we just do need a new coach and you can still kind of go yeah. into next season with the same mix. I don't know, but, like I said, they need to tread lightly with him because the worst thing they could do – is move on from him and then get get into a bad spot with tatum and then leave yourself at the altar with neither of them in no rings yeah
0: Yeah. and again i i do think it's like obviously it's hard to remove the recency bias but we have a reason to be upset and i think part of the reason we have a reason to be upset and frustrated with jalen brown is that you know he's making all the these are the same mistakes that he's made before if he had just like this one-off series where it's like man he had you know he was playing against the best defense in the league he couldn't figure out the zone like his ball security was bad like all those things are true but like it came out of left field no that really wasn't the case we've this has been very well documented it was it was noticed on a national stage during the playoff run last year his lack of ball handling, handling his issues with ball security and We know that, like, look, Jadon Brown is an incredible player in the regular season. And we are an incredible regular season team. But we have graduated from that level with being happy with regular season success. We have achieved... We've been to the playoffs for, what, eight or nine straight years. It's kind of unbelievable. Like, we're obviously spoiled in that regard. But it's also reasonable for us if we have a top 10 player in the NBA and another guy that's in the top 25 realm that we should be expecting, you know, the goal should be a championship. And if there are real reservations, like, hey... If Tatum, you know, sprains his ankle and he's 50%, you know, we need a guy at the, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to score 40 points, but he can't, he can't crumble in a situation like that. Like, you know, I still think long-term that the fit is good, but I don't, I'm, let's get into the the ceiling of the team situation. I don't know if we're going to end up having a better core around these two guys and what we had this year. And. It's, going to be only, it's only going to get harder from here if we do sign Jalen Brown to surround Tatum and Brown with the right pieces. It, it's going to be hard to get a situation that was better than this year. And I'm interested to see if you agree or disagree with that.
1: Yeah, because they're talking. I think there was something new with the CBA with potentially the money. Like, they might have to get rid of Brogdon or one of these guys for, you know, cents on the dollar. I, I just, that's why I, I don't know if I want to get rid of Brown. Like, can they put this team back together with the right coach? at the helm and go on a run next year. But I just think this year was the perfect storm. This is the, is a better roster than they had last year. The path was easier and they just ran into a, a team that really just like dehumanized. them. they just looked like, like they got deballed by Miami. Like they were like the complete polar opposite. Yeah. Matt, that's the exact word <laughs> I was looking for. Thank you. Got gotcha. just a, a team that like, they're like the polar opposite of Miami. Like Miami, they get how to win. They're gritty. They're ready for like, – how bad were the Celtics all year down the stretch? How many times like are we going into the last seconds and the ball's going to end up in Marcus Smart's hands? For him to huck up a terrible shot, I have – I've never had little more little confidence in a team down the stretch than I had with this team this year.
0: Yeah, and, and I think we talked about that before too. There's no – we have no business with a team that has two, you know, 25-point-plus uh, per-game scores on it. Um, that are good in isolation situations that can exploit smaller mismatches uh, and some and some good three-point shooters surrounding them that we should have this this difficult of a time executing late game situations it obviously took an incredible bailout from Derek white for us to even be in the situation that we were in game six after we folded a lead but yeah, I'm with you, man. I, and I think just I do want to touch upon the CBA briefly. I'm not going to go into it cuz I can't pretend that I've read it and understand everything in it, but the SparkNotes version of the CBA agreement is it is going to get more difficult for teams to go into the luxury tax. It, the the penalties for that are harsher. It's basically impossible to have teams like what we had in the past with Golden State that just live yeah, in the so luxury I was tax. Yeah. An yeah. And so you know, with that, you know, it is possible to pay two guys max money. That is possible. You can definitely do that, but it's really hard to even even if you already have those guys under contract. Like we obviously have a really good core. It's going to be hard to uh, re-sign a guy like a Grant Williams. It's going to be hard to uh, eventually re-sign a guy like a Malcolm Brogdon or a Derek White around them. So with those penalties arounding surrounding the salary cap being more punitive moving forward, it definitely raises more questions about the supermax in addition to the fact that jalen brown just struggled on a really big stage in ways that were similar to his shortcomings in the playoffs last year so uh i think that that's obviously worth noting but you know just on the ceiling of the team thing uh i, I think you kind of alluded to it so would you would agree that this was our you know do you think this was our best chance like what what how or if, if it's not how can we even approve on this team what would you like to see in the you know besides the coaching staff obviously which we can talk about in a little bit as well
1: well, I still like I sound like a broken record coming on here talking about the big guy depth, but that's one of them. I I would like, to, but then at the same time, I don't know who's the right guy you're going to go out and get. It's early in the off season. I haven't done a lot of that research. I mean, they're going to get Gallinari. I don't know how impactful you think he's going to be. I think he could be a scorer off the bench, but I just. I don't know if it can get – because if you just bring Brown and Tatum back, who's to say it's just not going to be the same thing where they're going to have a good regular season and they just – I i don't even think we're having this conversation. Let's say last – and I don't even like playing this game talking about injuries. Like, Oh, what if this guy was healthy? What if this guy was hurt? But let's say that the Bucks had Chris Middleton last year in the playoffs and the Celtics lose in the second round. Are we really even still having this conversation? I think there's more fear – there would be more fear now that they just they don't get it. They can't win, and because that trip to the finals doesn't happen last year, and we're talking, we need to, you know, change things. So I still have a fear in me that they just they don't get it. And I think what I what I hated about this season is I just think they regressed in who I kind of thought they were. I thought after that deep run last year they kind of understood how to win, and then they just showed me so many times in this postseason that they just don't get it. And Game Seven was a perfect example of that.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good point too, right? Like, I think it is. I, I you know, I, I'm with you. I hate playing the what if game. There's so many what ifs. Like the Middleton injuries, obviously significant. Like, but with Tatum
1: ankle, Tatum's ankle yeah, last night. Another yeah, ex- exactly example, and right there. You could
0: do that all day long and you could really piss yourself off about where your team's at. But it, you know, I get it. I get understanding like, Hey, what if I think what you're trying to say is, Hey, what if last year was more of the outlier than, and, and this, what we experienced this season and seasons prior is, is more of what the norm is, right? Like maybe we didn't actually break through a glass ceiling last year when we made it to the finals. Right. But I I do think that, I, I would say that we did either way, right? Because by hook or by crook, we got there, right? We got to the finals. We we had a 2-1 lead against the Golden State Warriors, you know? And I, I think we just lost to a better team at that point. But that experience is invaluable. So I do think that the guys understand, you know, how to get there. My fear is just like, man, if we do have Jalen on this max money, like, you know the core that we had was special we had eight real guys and obviously it would have been nice to have Gallinari in there too but like does he even uh, we don't even know what we're getting from him you know we had Mm -hmm. guys like Peyton Pritchard that weren't even consistently being in the rotation like I just feel like the role pieces were really perfect obviously you know the coaching experience is one one area where we can improve so uh you know maybe that is, is what eventually gets us through that but Let's kind of have that conversation now. I don't want to spend too much time on the coach, but obviously we had some strong things to say about Missoula the last time, when we were both on, um, you know, we were able to claw our way back from an 0-3 deficit against Miami. Um, so maybe he saved his job, but how are you feeling about it? What would you do with well, Joe Missoula right now?
1: First of all, that's my, was my biggest fear of the comeback is that this, I mean, after game three, when he said, I didn't have these guys ready to go. And he thinks he pretty much said that the team quit on him. I was like, he's dead in the water. Like he's, I don't care what extension they gave him in the off season. He's done. Then they go on this little run. I'm like, oh, did this just save this guy's job? Uh, I, I would move on. I get that they went on this little run, but he he just seems like he couldn't inspire these guys at all. And you know, maybe that shouldn't be a knock on him. That should be a knock at these guy these guys in the locker room, but. I don't have any confidence with him at the helm going forward. I saw a report today that I guess they're unlikely to move on from him and that they want to gather veteran assistance around him. And that just, again, pisses me off because they're not doing that if they didn't give him the contract extension freaking four months ago. And I would love to know whose decision that was, whether it was the owner's or whether it was Brad Stevens, because, I mean, there'd be blood to pay if, it, if I was the owner and they we just gave this guy a four-year deal who clearly isn't ready to coach yet heads would fall
0: yeah absolutely I I think it's tough man I I, this is the one that I really don't know about I think I'm at peace with the Jalen Brown decision and and obviously at least trying to offer off the max contract and see where that goes but with this it's it's tough right and and that's and it's it's funny because that's a microcosm of how coaching is evaluated right like was it the coach's adjustments was it the team just kind of stepping up and not wanting to just roll over to a, a Miami team that they know they're better than like I don't. I I feel like from what I saw, it looks like they made some solid adjustments. I, I I feel like he had the guys ready to go in games four and five, especially. I felt like the defensive intensity looked a lot better. I feel like the shots we were getting got a little bit better. Um. So I do. You know. But at the same time, it's like this is the guy's future, and we're and we're really just focused on this one seven game series. So. You know, I'd love to have him back either way. It seems like now because they forced the game seven, like I had kind of tossed out the idea on the last podcast that I I don't even know if it's possible. But it's like, look, the dude's 34. He was obviously hired into a weird circumstance. Like, is there any way we can just like kind of push him back down to assistant number two? And because I can't imagine he's got suitors lined up that would like hire him as a head coach right away anyway. So it's like, look, dude, how about we just keep you around? and you know you'll be an assistant and you'll be our top assistant and you'll be this and that but we do want somebody with more experience because his team's ready for a championship that felt fair to me now I don't know if you can do that to the guy because he's like what I'm one game away from making the finals and now you're gonna you know take the keys away from me like I don't know if you can do that I I don't want to fire the guy outright that's that's all I can say I think that the the bare minimum is what you said like yes no shit we need some veterans that have been in some games um on the assistance on on the on the assistant level because it wasn't just you know missoula we also got our assistants ravaged by other teams and losing stoudemire losing will hardy so i think that's the minimum and that's probably what we'll end up doing and i think i'm okay with that but i'm I'm not excited about it either i think i'm just kind of like yeah he probably saved his job and he probably deserves it so
1: yeah, I think it could be a real uncomfortable dynamic, though, if he's the assistant coach, and like you said, he's not yeah. happy about it, and they bring in somebody else. And then you could even have, like, this civil war in the locker room if things go south for some reason, because some guys could be like, well, you know, we respect him more as a coach than the new guy. Yeah, uh, you're
0: right.
1: Yeah, I I just – he rubs me. He's just a weird guy, too, which, I mean, that maybe that's more of a me issue that I can't really connect with this guy. But when I think it was after a game – the game that Tatum like was terrible against the Sixers, and then he turned it on. I think it might have been game six. It was game six, and then he had the big fourth quarter. And they asked him in the media, like, what do you say to when your best player is struggling the way he was? Clearly, it's a mental issue. And his answer, he just looks dead at the journalist and goes, I tell him I love him. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Like, that is just, like, so, like, you, so you actually think he went over to Tatum in the middle of the game and told him, like, I love you, bro, like, like that's a pretty easy answer to say just say like hey just keep shooting like your shots gonna fall like he's just a the whole like he does like jujitsu like he's just a weird guy in the pickup games before like when he's playing with his buddies looks like he's like hard fouling people I I don't know and I don't even think he maybe down the road he's going to be an okay coach but I just I feel think like he has to be right, right, right now a team yeah a team that's in kind of a win win now mode like I just don't – in a league where you don't need a great coach, you don't want a coach that's going to restrict you from winning. And that's why, like, I don't want to keep harping on the contract extension, but it's just so annoying they even put themselves in this situation where now they just almost stuck with the guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's all fair. I mean, that's what I said in the last podcast, too. I'm like, the dude's 34. He's clearly – you know, he should have a bright future ahead of him. I, I, in general, trust the decisions that Brad is making in the front office, and he obviously saw something in this guy where – Obviously he was in a tough situation, but for whatever reason they they gave him the keys immediately and they offered him an extension, like you said.
1: And, and I will um, say something positive about him. He actually did seem like those last the the run they went on where they won three in a row. He was using his timeouts a little differently. Like you could tell whenever Miami went on a run, he was using a timeout. So, yep. I want to cut him, you know, give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt because he's kind of learning on the job. Yeah. But that is what it is. I agree with you. He's going to be back. He's going to be back. I think he'll be back next year. Uh so yeah
0: yeah no I think that that I have to say that that Tatum answer is I I miss that but that is dog shit that's like one of those things that you just say when you're just like oh people you know the reporters will love this because it shows I care about my guys but you're absolutely right there's like he didn't he didn't say that maybe after the game or whatever but yeah he did not say that in the huddle so uh that's funny that's worth noting I suppose but um the last last point in the Celtics unless you have anything else here but like is, how, how disappointing is this season, right? Is this just a disappointing end of the season? Are you disappointed as a whole? Are there any, is there a silver lining that you can take away from this season? Because um, I think if you zoom out and you're like, hey, they did have, again, a rookie head coach. They were one game away from making it to the NBA Finals. They did claw their way back from being down 0-3. They showed some fight. They did something that only three other teams in NBA history had even done. Um, so how disappointed are you? Is that, that might be a dumb question, but that's what I'm asking. So I want to hear your thoughts on that.
1: If you told me maybe halfway through the season they were going to lose in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, I'd probably ask you to who. Yeah. Uh, I just I think they sh- the path was there for them to go to the NBA Finals. All they had to do was I know they're not a traditional number eight seed, but there's still a reason they're an eight seed. All you had to do was take take care of business remotely at home, and you're in the NBA Finals. And whatever happens, there happens. Uh, I just felt like they, like like I said earlier, I think meant like just who I thought they were kind of regressed. They didn't get back to where they were last year. And I never quite felt like they, especially towards the second half of the year, that they really ever had it figured out. And they like were able to string like a bunch of wins together where they seemed like they were going to like actually be the team that we saw games four through six.
0: Yep, absolutely. Where I kind of landed on is like, look, because of what I just said in terms of, you know, them making it to the you know one game away from the finals you, you can never really be too upset with that that's kind of the minimum that i put on the team i was expecting it to be milwaukee right i was always saying i'm like i think the championship runs through a boston milwaukee eastern conference finals that obviously sounds pretty dumb since miami took care of both of those teams but that's where i was at on it would it Would you feel better if you lost to Giannis, the best player in the world or someone in that conversation and a much better team as a whole yeah you probably feel better but you know, because we do have this context, because we do know, uh, you know, the level of of the talent advantage that we had over Miami, I think you are allowed to say that it's a disappointing finish. So, uh, obviously, I think the Celtics have have some big decisions ahead. I'm sure, uh, you know, some of the you know, how you end up when, when you play this late into the season, right, is that free agency is already right around the corner. So I'm sure we'll be hearing about, uh, you know, Jalen Brown's contract extension and all that in short order. Um, exactly. You know, I'm sure Joe Mazzulla will get some sort of uh, job security. We'll have a decision on him either way. So we'll have to discuss that with you here. But anything else in the seas before we, we preview the NBA finals here?
1: No, I, th- I think that's pretty much it. But I think we're going to see a lot of the same next year. I think it's going to be as close as it can to the same core with the same coach as we saw this year. And oh, that's another thing I wanted to say is they, they seem like, like I didn't also didn't like the answer from Missoula after the game where they asked him, like, do you, do you think you guys rely on the three too much? And his answer was just no. He seems like he's a guy that's a little stubborn uh, with the journalists, but like, if you're just going to be so reliant on the three ball, like I would like to see in the off season, get someone that's more of like a NBA veteran off the bench, like, Clearly, they don't trust Hauser because he doesn't get any serious minutes. If you're going to be hucking the ball up from three as much as you are, I'd like to see somebody off the bench more that you can trust to shoot the ball.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm not as worried about that just because I think normally Brogdon is that guy. Um, and obviously when you sustain an injury to your arm and you're, and again, I'm not trying to play the injury excuse, but I do think normally he's obviously the guy we're looking for because he shoots the ball as a good clip and he just sustained an injury to a shooting arm. It's also disappointing to mention, you know, the, the shooting drop off from Al Horford. I think I commented on it on the podcast, like three months ago that he was shooting like 60% from three and ever since that episode, his percentages just steeply declined. And he obviously was, I think he was well below 30% in the playoffs and he definitely was against Miami. So. Um, yeah, man, I think it's disappointing the, Oh, the one, the last thing that I wanted to say, I wanted to get your opinion specifically on, uh, obviously, you know, the last week or so we with, with each game from, from game four onward, uh, the comparisons of, of this Celtics team to the Oh four Red Sox, uh, increased with every single win, obviously as they were in closer, what were your thoughts on, on the, uh, the Red Sox comparisons to, to that Oh four team and, and how the, the media kind of drummed that up over the past yeah. week?
1: I'm not a very like superstitious person, but I hated it the entire time. Because go ahead and make the comparisons when the job's finished. Now when there's still a game seven left to play, and I I texted you yesterday afternoon. I was nervous that like fans and you had people all over like they're just penciling this in as a win. I said Miami is not a team that's gonna break and give you tonight's game. Yep. And I I hated it. Like then you're crossing sports too, which, which is fine, but it. I mean, it would have been a cute little story if the Celtics had completed the comeback, but it means nothing because they didn't, so.
0: Yep, absolutely. I You know, to get four your... Red Sox are
1: one of my favorite. I don't really love baseball anymore, but probably, like, one of my... I love that document, like, 30 for 30, whatever it's called, uh, four days of October or something, but... No, nah, I mean, that's just the whole fanboy experience, you know? <laughs> Typical.
0: <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. Well, well so, you
1: know, let me well, one last thing with the fanboys. The thing is, like, they're... Right now, you see it on Twitter, like super down on Jalen, super down on the coach. But trust me, two months from now, when they sign him to the Supermax, and they say they're bringing Missoula back, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. So they're going to be on board. It's just it's a fucking cycle with these guys. Just yeah, whatever. I I'm trying to be a better person. I don't need to go on a freaking <laughs> tangent about the fanboys.
0: I get it. I'm, I mean, I'm out here in, in Dallas, surrounded by Cowboys fans, and so we are we are smack dab in the middle of of this is our year for the Cowboys fans. This is this is our year season for them. So uh, I I understand it. I understand your frustration, but uh, we will see, man. We will see how this this off season plays out for the Celtics. Obviously, a disappointing finish last night. Uh, but let's recap you know or let's preview rather uh the NBA Finals right we still have one more series left to play we have the one seed in the Western Conference that has been chilling that's been on ice for over a week now uh, the Denver nuggets are now facing the Miami heat at home in Denver um and yeah man what is your what is your gut when I tell you when I tell you nuggets heat how do you feel about it are you excited to watch are you are you Exhausted just with how this Celtics season ended. How are you feeling about the finals
1: coming up? For starters, I feel like I haven't seen the Nuggets play in two months. That's how yeah. long this like <laughs> little too, Celtics dude. heat like comeback felt. Uh, I want to go in optimistic, but I have a feeling that the Nuggets are just gonna run them over, and we're gonna get a shitty NBA Finals. I hope even if like that's the thing though, like if the Nuggets run them over, but can Miami at least keep these games competitive to keep the games entertaining? But I just wonder if. The, uh, Denver is just going to be too much for them, but I do want to see, like, because we talk about, you know, Jimmy Butler, like, playoff Jimmy, how far can that really take them? Like, if if he actually makes this a competitive series, like, that's insane, because I think that this is such a huge mismatch for them. I don't know if they're going to get Tyler Hero back, because I saw him putting up some shots uh, in the last, I think it might have been before game six or game seven, but uh, as a guy that likes to bet on games and does a lot of prop bets i'm very fearful going into this series that we're going to see stars getting pulled with the last three or four minutes left and seeing a lot of unders because i'm an over guy uh (laughs) but yeah i'm hopeful but not not feeling great about this one
0: yeah i I think it's i think it's pretty interesting right like you know obviously i feel like i'm almost not allowed to comment on it like i'm obviously i'm going to jump ahead i'm going to pick the nuggets to win this series i think most people are i think that is part of the thing that, you know, not to say that it gives me solace in the fact that the Celtics just lost, but I do think Denver was the best of these three remaining teams, and I don't think it was particularly close. I think the Celtics would have a tough time with this Denver team. Uh, Obviously, before the series, I would have picked, you know, Boston over Denver was my finals pick, but, you know, the playoffs is where you really learn about these teams, and Denver has been far and away the best team in the playoffs. They've been undefeated at home, and in addition to the fact that you know, I, again, I obviously think Denver is a more talented team than Miami. From a basketball perspective, from what I can ev- uh, uh, evaluate and from what I can analyze, I, it's a horrible matchup for them too, right? You know, just the brief history of this matchup for the Heat is that Jokic is 10 and 1 versus the Heat in the last four years. That's unbelievable. I think that, you know, Miami obviously thrives with their zone defense. They play more zone than any other team and it's not even close. I think that if there's any team that I have confidence is going to annihilate that zone, it's going to be it's going to be Denver. Like you have the best passer in the entire league, who also happens to be seven feet, and he can see every single passing lane. And then you take into the account that I feel a lot better about Denver's guys knocking down their shots than I did about our guys at that point in the series. That being said, Spolstra is a really good coach. I don't think that they play as much zone because I think Denver's just going to play him out of it. I, I'd be actually pretty shocked if they still have that as a really consistent part of their defense uh but at the same time I don't know if I'm allowed to comment because I've, I've picked against Miami all three rounds I, I didn't even pick them against the goddamn <laughs> Knicks because I'm a moron well, I guess uh well, that's why I yeah. also
1: don't want to doubt them and like what I just said because <laughs> I'm like we've been doubting them all postseason like are they gonna you know defend home court and are we gonna see this go six or seven but I mean Jokic I don't I would love to know the history of like NBA finals MVP odds going in but Jokic is like a heavy favorite to win the mvps like almost a four to one favorite just to win the finals mvp so i think uh, clearly odds makers are expecting just a dominant performance for him but i just wonder even if with the great coach like you know they clearly they say all the right things in the locker room they know how to get the guys going i just think denver could just still be too much like if they're also a good coach team where they're just and i think you saw in the lakers series they could have easily given up one of those games in la but clearly mike like Coach Malone's got him like we're not like we're we got our foot on their throat right now. Like we're not going to give them any room to breathe. So that's why I would not be surprised if we see really like some competitive games but like just Denver steps on their throat at the end of all these games. Uh I don't know where how you, far you have the series going. I think it's going to be I wanted to say Denver sweep. I got Denver in 5. That's um, what I
0: landed on. Out yeah. of respect for Jimmy Butler, I think he'll have one of those games where he just kind of takes over and and just kind of wills him to win. I think if you know, let me just start by, you know, playing devil's advocate here and kind of painting the picture from Miami. I think that Jimmy really has to be the guy that we saw against Milwaukee more so than what we saw against Boston. Not to say that he was bad. I think you could you'd probably still make the argument he was the best player on the court, but Boston has a lot of guys to throw at Jimmy, right? I think Tatum did a fantastic job defensively most of the time, but having other athletes on him. Obviously, Jimmy thrives against you know, smaller defenders because he, he really put Derek, Derek White in the blunder for the first couple games of the series. White was better defensively in the series later on. But, you know, Denver doesn't really have I don't really know, like the the one on one matchup of who's guarding Jimmy Butler. Like it, it felt like KCP might be the guy early on, but he, you know, Jimmy's a lot bigger than KCP, and I, I just think if, if he was able to score on Derek White, he's going to take KCP to pound town. Like maybe it's Aaron Gordon, I don't know. Um, so I do think it's kind of a tough matchup defensively for for the the Nuggets, but I think that their game plan is going to ultimately be outscoring them. Um, so I do think that there's a path and again, Caleb Barton, if he plays like that again, like he, he averaged 19 points a game that series, he outplayed Jalen Brown significantly and his shooting splits were unbelievable. He was shooting like the ball, like 50% from three. So
1: that's a part of my Miami doubt. It's like, can these guys that were hitting all these shots in the series against the Celtics, can they continue to hit? Like it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that. I don't expect them to keep playing this well. And I'm curious, like, do you, what do you think Miami's going to do to try and stop Jokic? Do you think, like, they're just going to put Bam on him? Do you think they're going to, like, try and, like, sprinkle another guy on him and, like, double him up? I'm not to put you on the spot, but I just don't no. see how, like, and Bam, I don't, I don't think Bam is a bad player, and I think he's a good defender, but he's just a guy that, like, some nights just doesn't seem like he's going to have much of a role on offense or really in the game. I mean, maybe you know more about him, but I, so, there were some games where I'm like, this guy, he doesn't actually stink, but I'm like, this guy is just <laughs> doing nothing
0: out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big Bam guy either. I think he reminds me of a little bit of Anthony Davis in that, look, no matter how bad Anthony Davis was on offense, like he was so hit or miss, right? He was literally every other game, he was incredible. And every other game, he was trash on offense. But he always brings it on defense. And that's what I feel like Bam is going to do. That being said, he's a very different type of defender than Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is, at this point in his career, just such an elite rim protector. Bam's only 6'9". He's obviously, you can block shots, but he's not going to, like, totally make his presence felt around the rim, especially if he's playing up against a guy like Jokic. So, initially, I was thinking, like, maybe you... I don't know who you throw on him as like the main primary defender. If you, if you give a guy like Kevin Lovemore minutes is to be like the big body and stick him on Jokic and then have Bam be the help guy. But that's not really the best way to maximize what Bam does. So I would expect to see my gut. If, when, when Miami does go, man, I would expect to see Bam on him and just try to take away Jokic's passing lanes as good as possible. I think I I, I share similar frustrations with you about Bam. He is a really good passer, but I think his individual offensive game is just so hit or miss. I, I think, I lean toward the side where I'm usually not as impressed with what he can do offensively. Like there was a couple games where my, when Miami was losing, like I think game six, especially, I think he missed like 10 post hooks. Like they just were not falling for him. I'm like, what else does this guy have in his bag? Right. It's, I don't think the offense is going to really come from him, but I think ultimately, look, I'm not going to doubt Miami in saying like, you know i think that they can score at the same rate that they scored against boston i i'll give them the benefit of the doubt like let's just assume you know again they they keep their insane three point shooting up again they they their three point shooting percentage has jumped like 10% in the playoffs it's like unheard of let's say they keep that up i still think they end up losing the series because i don't think that they can score as much as denver denver is going to have so much of an easier time scoring on miami than boston did and another reason is like look man even if they find a way to sell out on jokic I think it's still going to be a really big Jamal Murray series. Like, White- I was just going to
1: say that. Like, they even if they stop Jokic, if Murray plays like he did in those games against the Lakers, they're they're going to get swept. And then if you throw in Michael Porter, if Michael Porter is hitting his shots, then they're. And maybe you could say if you're Miami, a Miami fan, that like, hey, maybe we're, they're not going to get that out of Michael Porter. Maybe Murray is because he Murray did, has had a couple bad games this postseason. Maybe we can expect that and steal a game or two. But the way, and that's the other thing too. These first couple games, you're going to have a team that's been sitting. It's like rust versus like almost like you've been playing, you know, seven game gritty series. Is Ken, who's, I don't know, it's game, going to be right? interesting dynamic to see who's going to come out on top of the team that could be, yeah, exactly. Because Denver hasn't played in what, two weeks? Will it be been like two weeks when they tip off? Because of what they tip off Thursday night. I believe then you have a Miami team that's Check. like just coming off a seven game series.
0: Yeah, I think that's worth noting as well. Um, you know, just on the Jamal Murray point, the reason I brought him up was just because I feel like low key Miami doesn't really have a ton of guys to throw at like a smaller guard like that. I feel like they kind of struggled to guard. Like you said, Derek White at times, I know that was more against the zone, but I just feel like with Murray's perimeter shooting. And again, if he, if he's obviously shooting the way he did against the Lakers, it's, it's, it's wraps. Um, so I just think that that is low key. Might even be a tougher matchup for them to guard individually than Jokic is, um, just with how good Murray was playing. But yeah, that's another dynamic as well, right? Denver's obviously been resting for, like you said, two weeks. Miami has literally the shortest amount of time possible heading into an NBA final, like the minimum amount of rest, especially when you consider they're, you know, they were in Boston for Game Seven and now they're going. So they literally are going straight to Denver, um, you know, to get ready for Game One on Thursday. So you know, just a couple days off. Like, obviously, Miami's calling card is they just punch you in the mouth and they've stolen game one of every single series on the road, which is insane to think about. Um, Obviously, it makes sense when you consider they won all those series. But I don't know, man. I I still think Denver ends up taking care of business. And I think that, you know, whether Miami steals, you know, game – you know, I, I don't think they're going to steal game one in Denver. I don't think that's going to happen. I I could see them maybe stealing game two or maybe stealing three or four in Miami, but I really do think it's going to be heat and five, man. I just think it's a really tough basketball matchup for, for what the heat want to do. And they're really going to have to sposter is going to be put to the test and they're going to have to really change what they do defensively. Cause it's night and day compared to how they handle this Boston team.
1: Yeah. And by no means, do I think Miami's going to roll over for them because that's not who they are. I just think it. There's, there's just matchups where it's just too much, and the one team is way more talented than the other. But, I mean, how many times have I said that now about Miami, this playoff yep. run? So, yep. who, who knows? You never know what can happen. Denver, still, you know, they haven't won a championship before. Maybe they'll kind of choke. It's possible it could happen, and it could make for a competitive series, but I'm not counting on it.
0: Yeah, and I do want to just give Miami credit too. Like I, I'm I'm really not approaching this with the perspective of like a sour Boston fan. I just genuinely, you know, I, I'm really impressed with Miami. I actually kind of like them as, as fucked up as that sounds given I, you know, they just beat our team, but like, they have Jimmy Butler's a dog I love Jimmy Butler I love yeah. coach Spola. he's got a yeah. great story like he just takes these guys like a, a, with the absence of Kyle Lowry that guy's a, a bona fide scrub and he can go to hell but beyond Kyle Lowry <laughs> I like everybody on that heat roster like they play the game the right way it's hard to not root for a guy in Caleb Martin that was like literally almost out of the league like you know what like 18 months ago like it, it's unbelievable what they're able to do and so uh, I have a lot of respect for that Miami team I think that it's it's improbable as a finals run as, as I I can remember i think you'd have to go back like many many years to get to that point like i'm just trying to think of teams that made it to the finals and like obviously didn't end up winning the whole thing because I, I don't think Miami's gonna win the whole thing obviously but like like i don't know how how far do you have to even go back to get to a team that that's unproblem i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot but do you no i you don't like even
1: because i mean i don't think an eight seed has ever made it and i know they're not a traditional eight seed but you still don't see a lot of times yeah. these like real teams that are lower seeds go on like runs like this yeah and like I, I even found myself a little bit in this series like i obviously want the celtics to win but it'd be kind of cool to see butler go to the finals and pull this team and like pull this out of his ass and carry this team to the nba finals but uh no i don't know
0: yeah i think the only team that i could even really think of that surprised me just kind of i literally doing this off the top of my head i was thinking of like that 2010 magic team because that was the year where or not 2010 sorry the 2009 magic team because that was the year where KG got hurt. So I think we yeah, beat the Celtics. We, yep. And so, um, and yeah, and then they ended up beating the Cavs in the Eastern conference finals, which was pretty surprising. And then you think, man, Dwight Howard's been to a finals as like the best player on that team. Like that obviously. And then the Lakers just ended up rolling through. Them. I believe but.
1: that's a series where Glenn Davis got hit so hard in the face by Dwight Howard that he got up and Doc Rivers is screaming at him to get back on defense and Glenn Davis gets up to try and run back on defense, and he literally looks like a newborn deer, and he cannot oh run back God. on defense. And luckily that old ref, who I, I don't even know if he's still with us anymore, uh, <laughs> I think he's the, he might be the one that kissed Barkley that time, or he's one of the older older guys. Realize that this guy clearly is concussed and caught him. But Yeah, I do, I actually remember that series. Uh, no, I'm not going to say vividly because we were very young, but that was, that was a good stretch for the Celtics. It's been about 15 years. What's well, not the you know, circle back to the Celtics, but it's like when is, you know, making eight, nine playoffs in a row, when is that just not enough? Like we we've it's been we've what, they've won one championship in forty years almost now. Like yeah. at some point you gotta just I don't know if you wanna make a deal that like shortens your long term window but opens it up more in the short term. I don't know i don't know i mean
0: i'm at that point right i think like that's what we were saying before it's like look man i'm not i don't think it, i'm greedy but i think that the ceiling of this team has been raised to the point where we're not underdogs we're not this scrappy like oh tatum and brown they're still 22 it's like look bro brown's like what 26 going on 27 and and tatum's 25 going on 26 like these guys have if been not
1: in, now in, when if not now yeah. when like and they've been it, in, you can't in just more... keep like,
0: they've been in more playoff games than almost any other duo in the entire NBA. They probably have the most of like active duos. Certainly like they've been in a lot of games and the rest of the team isn't really, we don't have any real young guys around them. You know, it was the absence of Grant and, and Pritchard, I suppose, that are like our eighth and ninth guy. Like we have a team of veterans. And so I think it is reasonable for us to expect to contend for championships, the level of talent that we have. And it's just a question of if, Hey, is just is the right coach for the job and is, is, you know this core of, of Tatum and Brown going to be the ones that can ultimately, you know, get us over that hump. I think I, I still have some optimism that it is, and but I, it, it's going to be hard to imagine a, a better situation than what they have than uh, a, a better situation than what they experienced this year because you know going through an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals, having home court the rest of the way, they would have had home court against Denver too. Uh, that's a lot to walk away from. So I think it's certainly a disappointment. But all right, man. Well, I think that that basically covers it for us rj and i both have nuggets in five um it was obviously a, a disappointing end of the season for the celtics but of course thank you to rj for your time rj thanks for thanks for coming of course
1: on. whenever you need me of course
0: and so uh, with that, before I let you guys go, I've got to, of course, tell you to rate and review the show. Follow at Words with Wallace on everything on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to share the show. Tell a friend. We'll definitely have RJ on at some point in the off season here just to kind of talk about the Cs. Once we get word on Jalen Brown, perhaps once we get word on the coaching situation for next year, we will definitely bring RJ back on. But uh, that's going to do it for me, guys. I will talk to you next week. Peace.